Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Have you wondered how your past relational sexual experiences affect how you do or don't build connection? Whether it's mental, physical, or just plain no chemistry at all, because I'm just not feeling you. Our guest today says so many men have been exposed to traumatic events and experiences that dictate the way they think, feel, and operate, such as premature exposure to sex, sexual contact, or sexual content. During this time of the pandemic, many families are seeking professional mental health services after discovering an affair or compulsively watching of pornography or realizing as things got quiet in the house, once busyness and rushing to work has been removed, that there's no emotional connection. Who is this person in my house I'm married to or living with? Today, Paul Bashay Williams, licensed psychotherapist. He's a father, he's a husband, author of My Future Wife, and most recently in partnership with HBO's new documentary, Storm Over Brooklyn, which tells the story of Yusuf Hawkins, a Brooklyn teen who was tragically killed in 1989 in Bensonhurst, which focuses on mental health and wellness and brotherhood. He's bringing his expertise on male relational trauma today to help men not only understand why they do the things that they do, but how to begin the healing process to overcome past hurt, shame, or fully recover as they bring their A-game to the relationship. Without further ado, from the perspective of a man, yet considering the female point of view, welcome to the show, Paul Bashay williams Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this thing that uh, a lot of us men have been ignoring or just um, putting into the back because we don't want to deal with some of this stuff. But I want us to get in a better place. And I do have to make one correction. It's Dear Future Wife, A Man's Guide and a Woman's Reference to a Healthy Relationship is uh, the title of my book. Dear Future Wife. There we have it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we're going to be calling you Bashay uh, today. So Bashay, you know, I think of... Um, that biblical reference, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So our Mr. Love expert today, <laughs> what is your de definition of what is love? So when we look at those definitions and we look at what we what you just read biblically, right? Uh, it talks about what it isn't. It talks about all the things that it isn't. And I think our mind and our, our bodies and to tell us the things not to do, but we never really talk about what we need to do. So for me, love is emotion. Love is always in action. Love is demonstration. So love is considerate. Love is uh, con continues to, to act. Love continues to show up even when it's uncomfortable. Love pushes through things that don't feel good. So love is always something that's demonstrated. 
it does not mean that you have to stay connected to a person because you can still love them and be disconnected from that person because it's just unhealthy. And sometimes that love is what helps another person heal and also allows your, yourself to be safe. Well, there you have it. So since you've clarified with poignant points, so then what is, tell us what love is not. Well, you know, love doesn't harm in a um, egregious way. So love um, doesn't try to destroy someone. You know, we, we use love habitual, you know, in a habitual way. Like, I love you. I think that's, a, that's an answer to different things. Uh, love is an apology. I love you. And that's supposed to, you know, right all my wrongs. So love is not something that we um, take advantage of. Love is not manipulative. You know, love isn't self-seeking. Love doesn't, again, try to destroy the person that I'm with. Love doesn't try to destroy myself. So love is not something that should be dangerous. So love does not destroy and it should not be dangerous. Yes. So love builds yes. and love is an action. Yes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bichet, you have to help us understand for the men and the women who are listening and watching, you know, why are men in denial regarding their toxic experiences as if it doesn't matter regarding previous relationships? Help us break that down. Well, a lot of times we're, we're taught not to feel. We're taught not to address the things that make us uncomfortable. We're taught to just push through a lot of different things. Suck it up. Be a man about it. And so if I talk about something that hurt or something that's uncomfortable or something that what society tells me is normal or society doesn't tell me it isn't normal, then why should I talk about it? Because if I'm in that, that position of addressing what hurts, what bothers me, and then that shows the signs of weakness, according to society, according to the lessons that have been told to us as young boys, some of us. So that's why a lot of us men don't really address these things because when it comes to sex and it comes to relationships, it comes to this early pre, uh, premature exposure to sex, that's what people think is a part of manhood. Like that's what they're preparing you for without having an emotional connection to a person or really understanding what hormones are and really understand because they, when they come and get hit with the testosterone, we get hit with all those hormones, we're told to just use them in a way to, to gain. Whether we're using it to be passionate about a sport, using it to be passionate about a job, we're using it to be passionate about all these different things. And now when it comes to a woman, we subtract what our emotional connections should be in order to live up to what was sold to how we should be. So what I hear in that, Bashay, is that, so if we're teaching our young boys that um, it's a weakness or we're sending these messages, I'm also hearing almost like a generational um, type of pattern. Because if, if we're teaching our boys that, then where did we learn that from? I mean, could you speak to that, just the intergenerational messages to our men um, that you see in your practice? Absolutely. I mean, and it goes beyond me. It goes beyond their parents. It goes historically. You think about, um, you know, I, I take several trips to Africa. We look at, you know, how we were moved from Africa, you know, how we were destroyed when it comes to connection, when it comes to sex, sex was different. Um, it was all about procreation in order to take away the family and destroy the family so we could use the kids to do different things. So the value of sex was destroyed early on. So now if we're just coming into the last you know, a hundred years, again, the family is being destroyed. So the value of what sex means to you and to what it means to your partner is different. It doesn't mean the same thing. 
Now we're having sex for survival, right? So now I'm, I'm telling um, the, maybe my grandparents have, because they didn't have a healthy relationship because society tells us that in order to survive, we have to live outside the household. Now, again, and society tells us the more kids, tells a mom, the more kids I have, the more support I get from the government. Um, so there's there's that level. And then there's this connect because we're unable to have these conversations about what sex is. We're unable to value ourselves enough to really know that the person I have sex with is the person that I really want to have connection with. But let me build that connection of trust first, because I can have sex with somebody, create this relationship, get hurt and still rely on sex. Sex is now you know, again, the gatekeeper, sex is now the thing that sells, sex is now the things that I can just release, you know, and get these endorphins and all these different things without having a healthy relationship with one, the person, and also myself. You know, and from the male perspective, especially as you're talking, what my mind goes to, Bechet, is that to your point, sex sells, you know, it's selling toothpaste, it's selling cars, it's selling beard cream, it's selling everything. Um, and, you know, we're watching television and if there's not um, sexual um, natures in there, those types of things, we're, we're constantly getting downloaded messages um, of, of sexuality. So when a young boy, you know, and, and as you're working with men and, and young men, how can we navigate, um, in your opinion, when we're getting all of these messages about um, sexuality, right? So I remember hearing a presentation once by uh, Dr. Gail Dines, and she kind of um, alluded it for men and women, but that we're either going to be effable or we're going to be invisible. And that's all the messages that we're constantly getting. And we're either going to try to put ourselves in one or the other basket because we're constantly objectifying ourselves. So when we, and I, and I don't see this going away. So, so what, what do we do about this, um, Boucher, when especially raising young men and then having the cultural messages that um, our sexuality and the prowl, all those things is what makes men, men. Right. And I think the, the biggest thing, we have to be honest. I think a lot of times we try to shield our kids from certain things and conversations. Like we're not even honest that we don't tell our kids that it feels good. So we're, we're, we're sending these negative things that's attached to us, which creates shame. And then when they find out, or if they do it, they find out from their friends or they find out from somebody who they're not related to or not connected to. And they feel like, well, my parents have been lying to me this whole time. This actually feels good. And so now I'm dealing with the shame of both. I'm dealing with the shame of it. I'm disappointing my parents, but I'm also dealing with the, the combination of them lying to me. So this is why uh, they didn't want me to do it, you know, because it feels good. I might get addicted to it, but let's have conversations about it. We've got to stop learning from the community in a sense of our friends and in a sense of, uh, you know, our, our schools. We need to learn at home. I'm talking to my son. I'm talking to my daughter, whoever it is. I want to be honest and I want to talk about what happens when you have sex with somebody. It's an exchange. You know, it's just not a release, an exchange of energy, motion, um, it's an exchange of um, soul ties, all those different things. And we talk about what it feels like emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, all those different things we need to talk about. Because a lot of boys, their first time isn't a pleasant thing. You know, we try to shield it like, oh, yeah, I did that. But there's a sense of loss in that as well. There's a sense of pride that we fight against because that feeling, because our, the, everybody around us has told us that's what we're supposed to do. So why am I feeling this guilt and shame for the first time I did it? Or why am I, when I'm 12 or 11, that I'm 
prematurely exposed to just these different things. And I don't know what connection is. I just know what sex is. And I see it on TV and I get aroused because that's my natural nature of, you know, seeing something that looks appeasing. So now why do I feel this way? You know, we don't always have control of our bodily functions. So sometimes I remember in school, you know, us boys, we just get an erection without even any, not even thinking about things. And we're sitting in the classroom with our legs crossed, waiting for it to go down so we can get up and leave and go to the next <laughs> class and not really understand it. Nobody's educating us on that. Or, you know, we're the first time we have, you know, we, we, we have an experience where we ejaculate without anything attached to it. We just wake up with it. You know, the wet dream, nobody's educating on us. We're just figuring these things out. And so again, having more conversations with our young boys, a steps of what's happening along the way. And as us as parents, as men, older men, being honest about our experiences, telling our kids, hey, this is what happened to me when I made a bad decision. This is what happens to me when I dealt with women, as opposed to fantasizing, fetishizing these bad things that happen and ignoring them. And I'm carrying this trauma and I'm minimizing the effect that it happened on me and why I can't have a healthy relationship today. So it's so many different layers that we really need to talk about. So then both of us are parents of boys. My son is eight. Um, So why do you think, in your opinion, um, professionally, that parents are afraid to have that conversation to your point, that it feels good, that your body is going to have natural responses, um, all of that, all of those things. What do you find with some of the parents that you work with that there's a a fear to even have a healthy conversation around things that are natural? Right. So they're, they have, they're dealing with their own guilt and shame about it. So they've never been taught. So they don't have the language to, to teach their kids. If I have experienced something and I didn't have guidance and now I'm trying to teach someone, that's when you come, the imposter syndrome comes in and says, well, who am I to teach my child how to do this when nobody taught me? But look at that language, my child. So I have an opportunity to have a conversation with my child so they don't go through some of the things that I went through. Even though I didn't have guidance, I do have experience and wisdom and I do have Google. I do have a professional that I can lean on and get some information from. But also, and understand when you're speaking to them, you're not encouraging them to do it, but you're letting them know the warning signs. And a lot of times people, again, put guilt and shame and say, you can't do this, you can't do that because you'll die, you'll do this. And the moment they happen and they don't die, everything you told them has been debunked. So now I know it's okay because I know I won't die. I just have to use protection. Now I know it's okay because I know I won't die because... I didn't die, or this person didn't get pregnant, I didn't get an STD, or so now I'm fighting what my parents told me as opposed to what's happening in reality. So we really need to make the connection with all. And then what I'll also see, and I'm wondering if you can um, speak to this, is from a um, religious or spiritual uh, standpoint, some parents will say, well, the Bible says not to have sex when you're married, or the Bible says um, all these these types of things. So then um, either teens or kids get afraid because they already know their parents' values and what the Bible says. Um, How can that work against parents, um, in your opinion? Because again, that's, although you know, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the scripture, it's also limited to one thing. Why did the Bible say that? Understand that God created sex. Understand that sex is supposed to be a good thing. And we have to explain why it's a good thing, what it's tied to, when it's for, 
and also and again explain what happens when you have sex outside of that. Sometimes, maybe all the time, or whatever it is, we got to have those honest conversations. Because again, we all sin, right? So now who am I to say your sin is greater than mine? So if a teen is trying to develop these thought processes and really find their own way, they get to decide which sin is bigger than the other one at that particular time until they really understand the level of it, the impact of it, until they really understand it. But now they're just trying to figure it out. So for them, they're saying, well, I saw my mom do this. Or I saw my dad do this. So it must be okay. Now, why should I listen to them when they didn't do it? So, but if we're able to have the conversations about the consequences and the experiences, then I can tie it to what I'm reading in scripture, right? I can tie it to application because you can just put it down and then I don't really understand it. So let me really understand and let's talk about it. So the other part that I'm hearing you say is that um, if parents haven't come to terms with their own sexuality and have um, realized that they've probably made some mistakes that they're going to operate from um, do as I say, not as I do mentality, and that essentially can can hurt them. So it can be a healthy thing, which kind of leads me back to um, when we bring up these boys, now we're going back to the men, uh, so to speak, and the men that have been in denial because of toxic experiences, and then that baggage will spill over. And then sometimes the other person there in a relationship truly is a victim because the men in the relationship and heterosexual relationships have not owned it. So why, why do a lot of men, in your opinion, um, don't own up to their mistakes uh, without making, and then make constant excuses uh, for them? What do you see in the couples that you work with? Well, that means vulnerability, right? That means, like you said, taking ownership. So taking ownership that I've hurt someone doesn't feel good. Taking ownership that I've been hurt goes against what's been told to me. So if I'm told to be strong, I'm told to don't let anything affect you, I'm told to man up, then how can I disconnect that theory or that thought process from when I'm dating a woman, when I'm dealing with a woman? How am I able to disconnect my own emotions and feelings, but I'm supposed to connect with a woman's emotions and feelings? That's, That's hard. That's virtually impossible to pretend like I don't have feelings and then treat someone with feelings. It, it doesn't make any sense. So that's what a lot of us men run into and we're in this constant battle. And then we, we also, with some men who feel like they've done something wrong, right? And they, so they deal between guilt and shame. Of course, guilt is what you do and shame is who you are. So if I can say that I made a mistake, right? And I'm attaching the decision to the mistake as opposed to myself, I'm able to make different decisions. So some men get get stuck in the decisions or the poor decisions that they made and say, I can't get better. This is just who I am. I don't want to do the work. I don't know how to do the work. This is all I've known. This is all I've seen growing up in my community, from my teammates, from my uncles, from my dad, or whatever it is. I've been conditioned and society has told me this is how I'm supposed to be. Even when it feels uncomfortable, it must be something wrong with me that I'm not going with the flow of what society tells me to do. When I go against the grain, I'm also getting backlash from the people around me. You know, I'm getting um, zeroed out and I'm, I'm getting pointed out and said, well, what's wrong with him? Like he's soft because he's this way. And then uh, overall society um, has for a while has shown 
like the like you said, men are supposed to be like this. So if the messaging is telling everybody this is what you're supposed to be, you know, if you look at the James Bond, you look at all the movies, whatever they are, they've been told to hit the player. All right. That's the one who gets all the girls. That's the one who gets all the money. That's the one who lives the best life. But they don't see it when the lights turn off when you're by yourself. And he's dealing with all the thoughts of the day, all the mistakes of the past. And you're 60, 70 years old and you're living a life um, all alone. And we also put dates to certain things. And that that that's also puts us at a disadvantage. Like you don't you shouldn't think that you're 40 and it's too late. You shouldn't think that you have to wait until 40. You shouldn't think, you know, that I need to develop emotions and relations to women after I have everything already successful, after I have the job, after I have the house, after I have the car. And then you're neglecting the emotional connection, emotional understanding of a connection and all those things along the way. And it's not just a switch that turns on. People say, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of men that say, I'm going to wait till I get married and then that switch is going to hit. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You can't erase your routine. You have to actively change how you're operating. So essentially, Boucher, what you're saying is if a guy or a man had the flavors of the ice cream um, in high school and in college and then decide that um, I'm going to just pick vanilla, that having those flavors of all those different ice creams will eventually pour over into that just choosing of the vanilla. It may not be all that he thinks it's cracked up to be. Right. So that can happen as all also. But there's some other men who they get tired of living that life and they come to terms to say, okay, I want to be with just one woman. Because once we realize that even though you're juggling all these different personalities, emotions and everything, it's exhausting. And so what happens is you experience the different emotions and, 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 and actions with one person and you think that this is too much. But you were just juggling 10 to 25 to six different women having to exhaust yourself to, to meet this person here, hang up the phone, get to this person and do all those different, all those juggling acts and stuff like that, which is essentially exhausting. But what happens is we don't get it attached or we don't get time to work through an issue because the moment an issue pops up, we move to something else. And then because that something else doesn't have the issue of the past or the other person, but the something else also has their own issues and it just looked different. So what I also hear, if we kind of go back to raising up little boys. So if we're not that parental mirror, if we're not mirroring for them, how to process their emotions, experience their emotions, then essentially they can still be little boys inside, but with men bodies, so to speak, and then not knowing how to connect to themselves. So essentially they're not going to know how to connect to a female which I would also see in the sense of having more of an avoidant um, attachment style in that sense of so they're disconnected from their self and disconnected from, from the other. And, you know, something I also see in, um, in our practice, and I'm wondering what you see, is that sometimes I also see the opposite, where men who have not had lots of conquest or, or many partners will feel ashamed to say that they hadn't because of what you mentioned, that cultural standard that, um, it's okay for the bull to have many cows, <laughs> so to speak, right. but you know, for that one person that also feels like he's a relational person and he doesn't sleep around, he hasn't had the sowed his wild oats um, uh, um, season, so to speak, yeah. and then almost shamed for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happens too. And then that type of 
guy when it's become an unhealthy, they sometimes stay in a relationship that is unhealthy because they don't want to look like what society is showing because they don't want to be the one with a whole bunch of partners. So they, they endure a lot and then they make decisions within that relationship that doesn't contribute to a healthy relationship. So we got to find a balance. There's a level of understanding on both sides. There's not one way that you should be. You should really understand all parts of you. And that's including, you know, the, the emotional development. We need to work on that as, as young boys and teach them what emotional development looks like. You know, women, they're already, you know, 10 steps ahead of us because women are, or girls are essentially encouraged, allowed to have emotional development. What does that feel like? Why do you feel this way? You know, if we tell that to the boys, um, then maybe they can get a sense of what they're feeling and what they're doing, what they're contributing to a relationship. So we're talking about boys. So how does in your um, experience and your thoughts as just a man, how does premature exposure to sex for boys show up later in life? And I would love for you to explain that because I see a constant statistic um, in, in our field of sex addiction that shows the average age of exposure now, Bashay, is age eight. And that's the age of my son, wow. which is a scary thing. So you better believe all his devices are locked down. <laughs> but, but what is your thoughts on how does that affect um, boys and how it shows up later in life when they do have premature exposure to, to sex? Right. And that's what they attach, what connection means right now. I'm attached to what I saw on TV. I'm attached with TV has or social media has showed me what sex and what men and women are supposed to do with boys and girls, how they're supposed to be in relation with each other. Um, and so it, it really messes with the brain development. And also, again, it detaches from the emotion and it, it attaches to the act. And so now I'm fantasizing about that experience. And, you know, because kids are constantly absorbing, they're constantly learning. So they're learning from everything that they see. They're learning from everything that they hear. And so now they're going through these developmental stages where they're saying, is this right? Is this is how I'm supposed to be? Is this is all I'm supposed to be? And I don't have the education to put, by, to put behind what I just saw. So premature, it's just like, you know, anything premature. It's like it's it's coming at you when you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it for so many different reasons. And so we want to protect our kids from certain things. We don't want to have them ignorant to certain things, but we definitely want to protect them from that because men grow up who, like you said, suffer from sex addiction, sex addiction, love addiction, porn, and all those different things because it, it also fills a void. So if a woman rejects me, I can go to my porn, which doesn't reject. And, and then it becomes obsessive. And then it becomes, because it, again, it feels good. And so now I'm a test to that, but I don't have communi communication skills with someone because I'm learning how to communicate from watching porn. So that's a difficulty. It's, again, so many different layers. And psychologically, that's where they connect to because it's safe. It's so much safety in that, which is they think. And then again, you run into the guilt and shame of it, but then you get stuck in it. So now we got a process. Well, how do I get out of this? I've tried to stop doing this. You know, I have clients that I've seen before where we've did our we've done our different processes of you know helping them with the porn addiction or sex addiction. And you know, they have to understand that there will be days where they have setbacks. 
but you know, a setback doesn't mean that you get you have to stay there. So, but it's so difficult when you're by yourself because you could be on a streak of not watching porn or not masturbating or not uh, cheating or whatever it is. And then you fall back into it and you say, you know what, I'm giving up all that work, all that work for nothing. All that work is part of the process. So we teach grace and forgiveness and understanding and self-forgiveness is huge in this process. Because again, people will stay in guilt, which keeps them in that behavior for the longest. One of the things that that I share, and um, and it sounds like that's exactly where you're going with it, is that we all have a an arousal template, and that premature yes. exposure for boys is that first experience of the erection, the first experience of the ejaculation. All those things are now going to be downloaded into that template. And if they're not other things in place, then that template can create some imprints that can later um, affect them. So we are going to continue this conversation because we want to educate not only um, our parents, but men to understand why they are the way that they are, because it is um, time for healing. And like I always like to say, healing is the new sexy. So we'll be back with our love expert today and the author of Dear Future Wife, Paul Bechet-Williamson after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Today we have our expert guest, Paul Boucher Williams, and he is the author of Dear Future Wife, A Man's Guide and a Woman's Reference to Healthy Relationships. So he's helping us understand and break down male sexuality so that we can help our boys and men 
be partners in healthy relationships. So before we went to the break, we were talking about just that um, template that we all have a arousal template. So what we see, what we hear the first time a young male um, masturbates or gets an erection or um, ejaculates, all of those things matter, um, especially if they're getting reinforcing messaging from their family, from their friends, which then can create more of a, a zigzag approach uh, towards a healthy relationship. So then, Bashay, what are some of the ways uh, for those of us that are raising young men, how can we help protect them from unhealthy messages around their body, around sex, and just relationships? I think encouraging the, you know, positive, um, uh, positive examples of our, our bodies and, and really, again, supporting them and educating them from the things that are opposite of what society is saying, right? So we are able to encourage our children to say like, value in yourself. You know, we, we tell little girls to value their, you know, vaginas, but we don't tell little boys to value their penises. Imagine if we told them that not everybody should have access to this. You shouldn't give this to every person just because they have a pretty smile, just because you're, you know, you are excited or you're horny or something or arousing, you're aroused by something, whatever it is, that does not mean you satisfy that with everything that's uh, close to you. Like we can do some development, understanding and really exploration of what your feelings are, what your emotions are, um, what your body is. So if I'm talking about that in a positive light, then that, you know, combat some of the negative things or what society says. So, cause I want home to be the safe space to talk about these different things. So I'm going to talk about them in real time. I'm not going to wait for me to, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be proactive as opposed to being reactive to them finding out they had sex or finding out they, they've been exposed to different things because we need to protect our boys um, as well as our girls when they're younger. So nobody should be touching them or seeing them or, you know, the babysitter or the uncle or the aunt or whoever it is, they should know that nobody should have access to this. So if we're educating them early and then as they're developing, we start to talk about, you know, the connection with the opposite sex or whatever it is. Now we're really understanding the dynamics of relationships. So we should be having appropriate conversations along the way and helping them understand their body. And one of the things I tell my son, and, and I'm downloading these messages for many reasons, is that his superpower is his ability to wait <laughs> and self-control. <laughs> I always thought those, right, those are your, right. your superpowers. And then one of the things that you had mentioned, um, I remember Bashay when my son was four, he was in preschool, and I used to download these messages that, um, to your point, no one should touch him or even look at him except mama and papa or if the, the doctor is um, present with uh, either mama or papa. And I remember getting this call, right? Because we we're downloading these messages to our sons and sometimes we don't know if it's landing or not. And I got this call from his preschool teacher and she said, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, Rylan is fine, but they had these curtains in their uh, preschool where they would go to the bathroom. The curtain, he was taking a little bit longer um, in the bathroom and she peeked in. And she said that he yelled at her and said, no, looky, looky, looky. <laughs> and I'm like, Bache, it worked, right? Because we're downloading yes. these messages and then you hope and pray that in those moments when you're not around, that those uh, constant repetitive messages is truly downloaded. So at the moment I was horrified, but I was so happy that he was able to speak up for himself. 
So talk to us a little bit um, about that, you know, as a, as a professional licensed psychotherapist who's working with family and men and boys, what is the appropriate time and age to kind of move through having these conversations? When do you think we should have these conversations with our, our young boys? So as the moment they, they're exposed to the world, you know, because they're not with us all the time. So you're having that conversation with your son um, early. So I had that conversation with my son early too. And he went to school at, at three. He went to pre-K three. So he's been in school since then. Of course, the hours were shorter. But again, you know, he was wearing a pull-up or a diaper, whatever it was. He knew that nobody else could be in the room with him. He knew that he was potty trained before that. We explained why you're being potty trained not just because we don't want you to pee in a bed, but we also want you to be able to control yourself and, and stop other people from being access and having to control you. We're having to, to hold you while you go to the bathroom. So now you don't need anybody else in the bathroom with you because the same thing happened when we got a call from the school and said, because he told that some boy was walking around and looking at other people while they're in the bathroom. And so he was saying, no, this is wrong. So that was some of the same experiences. So I'm having that conversation about protecting and honoring and valuing yourself um, at an early age. Become, again, when you get more exposure or they get more exposure to society, some of these things that we know that we heard when we're younger, we know that society is talking about, we know we don't want our kids to, to go through. We don't let them find out by the world. We talk to them about it. And we have some of those same fears. We express those fears and why it's a genuine fear for us. And I'm worried, you know, I'm concerned. This is out of love. This is not out of control. So if I'm using that language of I care about you, I want you to care about yourself. I want you to put value in you. And I'm empowering you not for, to, con, you know, to conquer or for conquest, but to, like you said, for self-control and self-honoring and self-valuing and all those good things. And then I can make better decisions when I get older. I know I'm not just going to do this just because it's available. I'm going to do this because I want to do this because this is the right thing to do because I'm honoring not only my body, but I'm honoring the person that I'm um, laying down with. I'm getting, being intimate with, I'm learning. So it's a process. So being open and honest and being able to open those dialogues of communication, you know, cause I'm sure just like um, myself, you've probably heard many stories where, people have that first messaging to them where they've gotten caught looking at um, pornography or their parents walked in on them masturbating was almost the messaging and the response of the parent was shaming to them, which then made them feel like they were doing something wrong. As well as, um, I'm wondering what your thoughts about this are. Sometimes we'll also see that uh, young men in their early 20s or um, even teenage life is when they are actually engaging in a sexual experience with a female, have um, erectile dysfunctional challenges that were porn induced. I'm wondering what you see and how, um, what you can share with our viewers and listeners as to um, what that's about and why we do need to protect our young boys from those premature exposures. Right. So that, there we go. So we're talking about um, separating emotion, we're separating reality. You know, we're now we're fantasizing about what happens on TV, which is a scene, what is action. It's 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 all those different things that were choreographed in order to you know get you aroused. And so that's when some men say that's the only way I can do that. So here I am in front of another person, and I have to perform. 
So what am I supposed to do? I'm performing without any connection. You know, whether it's rough, whether it's, you know, kinky, whatever those things are becomes the messaging and that's how it's supposed to be. So there's no relationship development. And again, there's no value in that for relationship building. So that's why that shows up. And I, I've, you know, treated some men who struggle with that, who had to, you know, deprogram themselves of what sex is supposed to be. Because to, the, to them, the connection is the TV, the connection is the video, the connection is not a person. And they expect the person that they're with to look like their favorite actress, to, to perform their favorite scene. And that's not always gonna be accurate. And so now they can't get past this block and they're struggling to be intimate with someone because that's not intimacy, that's not the real intimate part. That's not real intimacy. Again, that's you watching something on TV that's triggering you, your arousal, like you said, which is normal. But then how do we practice that outside of that? So essentially, if they're, if our young boys and our teens are getting their sex education through pornography or through um, television, then they're in their mind can be setting themselves up as well for that performance anxiety that um, what I'll see is then, then when they're actually with an actual female, she should always enjoy what I'm doing. She's always smiling. She's always A, B, C. So they have this setup. And then when someone's not responding to them in that way, then that performance anxiety can set up, uh, set set in, and then can return back to um, the thing that is always smiling and is always available and is always wanting to do whatever position, whatever flavor, whatever you want me to do. Um, so when our young boys are having that downloaded in their mind and their brain, then they can set themselves up. What I'm hearing you say is for unrealistic expectations of what their sexual experience right. is going to be. Right, right. Definitely out of touch with reality. Again, now, and, and some go as far as putting themselves in the actor's position. So like you said, I need to perform like the way I saw. I have this idea of what sex is supposed to be, you know, and that sex is you're just pressing play. There's no nothing leading up to the moment. The, again, there's no build. There's no connection. And so you're trying to perform the way you just saw or the way that you've been seeing. And like you said, the response to performing anxiety, all those different things show up and then you can't make a connection. And then what happens after? You don't even know how to, you know, reconvene with a relationship because all you've done, you know, all your life or the majority of your life is cut off the computer. It's to close your phone and to go do something else. So now where's the relationship? And so that's all the work that you have to put in to have a healthy relationship is not being taught. So then in your um, expertise, you know, one of the things that I've seen um, in uh, practice over the years, especially with Instagram, right? We have Instagram models. We have all these different things. Um, we're seeing 180 degrees of people's lives. And I'm seeing our young men more than ever actually getting, um, I would use the word addicted to the scroll, getting addicted to the Instagram um, person, getting addicted to the Instagram models and those types of things. And some of them will even say that is that they've gotten um, follow certain models and then they are downloading these images in their mind of what they expect from their girlfriends or partners. So what are some healthy ways for the parents that are listening to this or the teens or the young men um, in in a practical sense, what are some healthy ways that we can introduce sex and intimacy and emotions connected to sex to our young men, especially now more than ever 
due to that access to social media, to uh, accessibility to pornography, you know, and I, I don't know about yeah. you, but when I'm talking to parents about being proactive, you know, I say when I grew up, there was uh, the boob tube or the, you know, the blockbusters and there was that black curtain that said 18 and older and my parents didn't let me go in that curtain. So we have to kind of have the right. same mentality online. So what are some of your thoughts about introducing yeah. sex and intimacy? Yeah, I know we definitely have to create boundaries, right? We have to pay more attention to our, our kids, what they're watching, what the messages are. There's so many different apps that hide everything that they're doing, which is so unfortunate. Um, and they don't really understand the level of protection. They're just trying to have access to their friends or different things that they're talking about. So I think a healthy way is to even create a sense of community where everybody's talking about the same thing. Like I want to communicate with my friends, my, my son's parents. So we're all in protection. So we're all on the same page. So we know where our children are when they're together. We know they're not sneaking off and doing one thing and one parent is, it doesn't, is unaware of where my child is when they're with him. So creating that sense of community. Also, again, having the healthy conversations, I wanna know what my son is doing at your house. So I wanna know what your parents' messaging is when my son is there. Is he learning different things that I say that aren't okay, that isn't okay, but you're allowing that at your, at your home. So what am I doing? Am I communicating with other parents? Again, we're having these honest and open conversations with our children about sex, about relationship, about heartbreak, about love, about intimacy, all those different things we need to be talking about. And we're talking about, we're comparing, we're looking at those things that are on Instagram and knowing that it's a photo shoot, knowing that it's been edited, knowing that people have had enhancements, knowing all those different things and being realistic about it. Because again, when even as adults, when we see, when we're disconnected from our significant other, and then we see a happy couple online and really understanding that it just might be a photo shoot. They might not even be together. So we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So stop comparing yourself to what you see online and work on offline what your relationship is. And so now we're telling our kids, what is your relationship with yourself? What is your relationship with with sex and really asking them, you know, why do you feel like you're ready for sex? Why do you want to have sex? What is your understanding of sex? And allowing them to have these questions and have these voices so we can be a safe space to talk about those things as well. So communicate, be able to be curious and understand what our uh, children and our teens know. And then um, being able to share with them the family values because the research shows, Bashay, and you know this as well, that the number one influence on kids up until about when they get into the 14 or 16 is parents. So it's, it is important right. to your point to communicate, share our values, know what they're doing, get curious, and then take those proactive measures. Um, I always say be friends with them on Instagram or have, especially if it's your iPad that they're using, so to speak, is um, it's okay to have filters and those types of things to help be proactive and blocking some of the, the things that can get in. Because once they see those images, you know, I know the first time I saw a pornography, right? Those images are burnt into your brain. Um, and we know right. that that's, uh, once it's there, it's gonna rent space in your head, so to speak. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that you use your um, Instagram a lot to educate um, men and boys and messaging. And I saw an Instagram post that that you believe that stood out to me that um, we fetishize sexual trauma and encourage it. Um, I was I was hoping you can help us, the viewers and listeners, explain what exactly does that mean. 
So I've been to so many different speaking engagements um, and, and a couple in particular where we had men speak out because, you know, once they see someone who also is speaking about their experiences and stuff like that, it becomes a safe space for us to talk about it. So I remember a couple of times, uh, actually one in, in particular where a gentleman was talking about when he was in middle school and it was four guys and two girls behind a stairwell. You know, he was talking about, yeah, so ever since then, or I can't have sex with just one person. Like I need multiple people in the room and really disconnecting that that's something that shouldn't have happened. It was an older um, person who was facilitating that. They were not mature enough to really understand what was going on. So now I've developed this routine and this connection to a traumatic event because society tells me this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to have multiple women. I'm supposed to be um, involved with multiple partners at one time. And now I can't really connect with one person. And so I can't really have a real relationship with anyone because they're never enough. And that's what society has told me. That's what my brain has told me. That's what my experiences have told me. And that's what I've learned and conditioned to be. So we're now fantasizing, fantasizing that. When you look up porn, there's a whole section of, you know, uh, orgy or gangbang or whatever it is. And people are actually experiencing that and can't disconnect from that. So society is saying, this is what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to go to the Playboy Mansion. It's supposed to be a whole bunch of different people doing a whole bunch of different things at the same time until I'm tired or until something happens. And then now when it's settled down, and I miss all these years of connection that I could have had with one person. Now, I'm not knocking anyone who does that, but I'm trying to get people to really understand what some people, some men are really experiencing and they don't allow themselves to really understand that it wasn't okay for them. Until, you know, it's later on the line and they say, okay, I don't know why I can't connect with just one woman. I don't know why I can't stay faithful in a relationship. I don't know why I can't be emotional or really understand what I'm doing to this woman and why I can't stop, why I can't stop cheating, you know? So if we can get down to the root and let's talk about that first time and not say that was a conquest, not say that was a good thing, having sex with the, uh, one of your teachers or having sex with the older woman in the, in the community, that's not a good thing. Now, if you're of age and you're able to make these decisions and you feel like mature enough to do that, that's something totally different. But again, if you're 12 and she's 16, she's experienced, you're 12 and she's 20, you're 15 and she's 21, all those different things. And while a woman is more mature at that time, it's not okay. So men and boys have to deal with the trauma that they may not have recognized it was trauma because they've been taught that if I'm um, 14 or 12 and my babysitter had sex with me, that is a good thing because she's an older woman and kind of almost uh, fantasizing um, that to your point, there's different porn genres and those types of things that re-traumatize and what we would call that in trauma therapy, um, Bashay, and you know this as well, is it's trauma repetition, is you're going to repeat that trauma that's undealt with and you're going to repeat it, but now it's almost like you are the conqueror, but real creating the same type of dynamic because you're unhealed. So it's time to heal um, and it's time for us to understand our boys and our men so that we can stop shaming them and start helping them heal. So- 
Right. So uh, I don't need you to help us out, our Mr. Love expert. <laughs> so if uh, you think about the person that you are today and how you arrived at this love destination, what differently would you change about your perception versus reality on love as a mature man? So I would tell myself two things. I would tell myself to value myself more than the things that I can do for another person. And the other thing is don't wait for something egregious to happen in order to leave a relationship. Because I, for both, I've kept, my, kept myself in relationships, unhealthy spaces, because I relied on that. Waiting for something egregious because I've been told that I'm supposed to be the man, I'm supposed to take care of everything. And also not having that much value in myself, but valuing helping other people or doing specific things as opposed to valuing myself. So then valuing self-worth and, you know, I also hear, I always um, say to, to the women I work with that validation is for parking. <laughs> so if we're looking <laughs> to uh, get validated by other people, by external um, forces, we're going to get disappointed. And as you said, staying in toxic relationships a lot longer um, because sometimes we can turn that on us, that we, there's something must be wrong with me, which is that self-worth right. issue. So then, so then, Bashay, you know, some men have not learned how to share feelings appropriately or have had their feelings minimized, which can contribute to shutting, shutting down. How can, you know, as we are closing, um, closing down um, our segment, how can someone listening or watching take practical steps to overcome this? Really trusting themselves is, is less about the response to your emotion, but more about you being okay with them. So really understanding that, again, finding safe spaces, go to therapy. Um, and, and find a place where nobody has access to you being emotional, your emotional self, and learn to train yourself to be okay with what, what you're feeling, embracing them. To embrace your feelings. <laughs> you know, I love one of Oprah Winfrey's quotes where she simply says, when we know better, we can do better. So, so how would you complete this sentence for our audience? Love is patience. Love is kind. Love is. Again, love is action. Love is action. Well, there we had it from our Mr. Love expert. So as in the words of Paul Boucher Williams and dear future wife, a man's armor is thicker than steel. To his detriment, once penetrated, it's never quick to heal. Vulnerability can be tough, but when we realize healing is the new sexy, we can finally get the love we truly deserve. We thank Boucher for his time today, for helping us break down the uh, sexuality of men and our boys. So until next time, as the world needs more love, this is your host, Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily 